Let's go to Psalm 105. I, I uh, really expected us to continue in the Gospel of Mark tonight and just throughout the afternoon as I looked over my notes, I just, the Lord kind of pulled me away from Mark and, and, and maybe that's because so many folks are missing tonight and it would keep us from having to review and all of that. Maybe God knowing that, that's what he's doing, I don't know. But uh, he took me to another another thought that I think is I think is important. Psalm one hundred five, verse number one. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. Call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the people. Sing unto Him. Sing psalms unto Him. Talk ye of all His wondrous works. Glory ye in His holy name. Let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face evermore. Remember his marvelous works that he hath done, his wonders and the judgments of his mouth. Father, would you help us now as we look to your word? May I rightly divide it? May I be a help to your people, Lord? I need the help from your word tonight. And I just pray, God, you'd speak to us in an unusual way. And may it be very clear that this was your doing. And we'll see it to be what it is, marvelous in our eyes. Thank you for our time together. Bless the young people in their teen class, bless those in Sunday school, I mean, uh, discipleship, those in master clubs. Give them a wonderful and fruitful time tonight, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Growing up, I was, I was told I said this a lot. Attitude is everything. Attitude is everything. And as we peruse the uh, annals of history, we see some Christians that just, there's just evidence that these were Christians that just got their prayers answered. I've got three that I've chosen for you. I love quotes. I've got three that I've chosen for you. The first is a man named George Mueller. You familiar with George Mueller? George Mueller operated an orphanage there in Bristol, England, and he relied completely on God to provide what they needed, and he prayed. He literally prayed in what they needed. He was known for getting his prayers answered. There's all kinds of neat stories about George Mueller and how they didn't have bread or they didn't have milk or they didn't have this need, and God just provided. He said this, he said, be assured, if you walk with him and look to him, and expect help from him, he will never fail you. Is that true? Amen, that's true. Okay, let me give you another one from George Mueller. Faith does not operate in the realm of the possible. There's no glory for God in that which humanity, in that which is humanly possible. Faith begins where man's power ends. about J. Hudson Taylor, founder of the China Inland Mission? J. Hudson Taylor is known for uh, that entire work, which the remnants are still in China. They're still there. There's still work being done from his initial work in and around China. Uh, J. Hudson Taylor would never go anywhere and ask for money. Now, that's not the only way to do it, because you have other guys that were very good at asking for money. Spurgeon comes to mind, and God bless both of their ministries. But he just believed, I'm just going to tell people what the need is, and God's going to provide. 
He says, Christ is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. That's a good quote, isn't it? Has the added advantage of being 100% true. Christ is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Here's another one. You must go forward on your knees. Man, do something about prayer. One more. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supplies. One more person. Well, I got another Hudson Taylor quote. I'm going to read you the whole quote. I didn't put it all up here. He said, many Christians estimate difficulty in the light of their own resources, and thus they attempt very little and they always fail. Let me read that again. Many Christians estimate difficulty in the light of their own resources, and thus they attempt very little, and they always fail. All giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on his power and presence to be with them. I think that's it for Hudson Taylor. One more, one more. William Carey. William Carey is the founder of Modern Missions. William Carey said this, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. This is one that a lot of people don't know, he said, but I love it. All my friends are but one, but he is all sufficient. If you're only going to have one friend, that's the one you want, isn't it? The future is as bright as the promises of God. Now, I'd love to see revival in America, but at the end of the day, I'm not going to implode over this thing. Why? Because the future is as bright as the promises of God. Now, why did I choose these men and these quotes? Because I think all of them, all of them and so many more, that were known for their power in prayer, they displayed and demonstrated a certain attitude. An attitude that facilitated their prayers getting answered. And remember, attitude is everything. We enjoyed two victories last night in basketball. I'm very grateful. Okay, If you go into every basketball game with the attitude that you're no good and you're going to lose, guess what? You're no good and you're going to lose. But if you go in with the right attitude, one that works hard and does, does your best, seeks to honor God, do your best, never quit, you've got a good shot there. Attitude is everything. And these guys, Hudson Taylor and William Carey and George Mueller, they displayed a certain attitude. Now what's interesting is that the, the passage we read, Psalm 105, the first five verses, actually outlines what we're going to call the attitude of answered prayer. A psalm of thanksgiving. A psalm of thanksgiving. But in those first five verses, we see the outline of an attitude of answered prayer. Number one, answered prayer carries an attitude of rejoicing. An attitude of rejoicing. Look at verse one. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, 
Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Sing unto him. Sing songs, psalms unto him. Talk ye of all his wondrous works. Now when you read that in your mind's eye, in your sanctified imagination, is the psalmist smiling or is he frowning? Evidently not a Baptist. I would say he's smiling. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. We would say that these verses, 1 and 2, are representative of joy. The second of the fruit of the Spirit mentioned. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And a Spirit-filled Christian who has this right attitude, they can't help but express joy. I've been saved for four decades. And with the exception of some brief times in my life, I've been in church for all of those years. I have observed a lot of Christianity. And I can't think of one person that I ever knew or even heard about that lived a life devoid of joy and still got their prayers answered. Can't think of one. But I'm going to tell you, I think of people that got their prayers answered, without exception, their lives were characterized by joy. Now remember, joy and happiness aren't the same thing. Happiness depends on circumstances. It depends on happenings. Joy transcends that. Joy is that quiet confidence in God that he's got everything under control. Consider the activities of a Christian with a joyful attitude. First of all, you you got praise. You're going to see praise. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. It's first, and it's first for a reason. In the Hebrew, that give thanks is one word. And it literally means to cast forth the acknowledgement of a fact. So what does that mean? What is he saying? I'll give thanks unto the Lord. The fact is, God is good, and I'm putting it out there. When you give thanks, that's what you're doing. You're saying, God is good, and I want everybody to know about it. See? (laughs) There's praise. You know what else? In that joyful attitude, there's passion. It says, oh, give thanks unto the Lord, call upon his name. The call there is to cry out, to roar. This isn't a, hey, Lord. This isn't what many people do when they say the blessing at a a restaurant. No, 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 no. This is a passionate crying out about how good God has been to us. Andy, I, 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 don't really, I don't really do that. Last night, during those games, games that many people would characterize as exciting and enjoyable, I would not characterize as either. They were too close. I like blowouts when we're winning. I don't like blowouts that are the other way. I like blowouts when we're on the good side of that. Those are the ones I enjoy the most. And the, the, broader, the, the broader the margin, the more I enjoy myself. Last night, 
after all of that, I went home and watched UVA just barely squeak by Michigan last night. I'm like, how many of these do I have to watch tonight? Wahoo wah. Um, <laughs> you know what a lot of people were doing in there? They were crying out passionately. The other team, I got to give them credit. They were vocal. Good for them. So we had to get vocal. Now, I realize this is apples and oranges, a ball game versus church, but would we at least agree that God is worthy of our passion? That we could stand to get more excited about the things of God? That may not translate into, woo! But it may translate into whatever your passion results in. Maybe it's tears. Maybe it's, when I say laughter, I don't mean the Brownsville holy laughter foolishness, but you know what I mean. It's praise, it's passion. You know what else? It's proclamation. If you're really enjoying the Lord, you can't help tell people about it. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the people. Make known. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And did you hear about that bill they passed? You know what I say to that? So? Doesn't change who God is. Oh, yeah, it concerns me. What did, what did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say? They said, our Lord's able to deliver us. But if not, if you keep reading through there, you know what they said? So? This is to make known, uh, means to ensure that others know in a deep way how good your God is. This is being specific. This is being sharp and focused. It's not just saying, God's blessed me. Tell people how he's blessed you. God sure has blessed me. That's true. How? What's he done for you? What's he done for you? Be specific and be sharp. Be focused on it. Now, this fourth one, stay with me, okay? Because when you first see it, you're going to be like, wait a minute, preacher. An attitude of rejoicing is characterized by praise. It's characterized by passion. It's characterized by proclamation. And it is characterized by partying. But I mean the right kind of partying. I don't mean the lascivious foolishness that goes on in the world. I'm talking about an honest-to-goodness holy party because there's a celebration going on. Look at verse 2. Sing unto him. Sing psalms unto him. Talk ye of all his wondrous works. Periodically, I'm called upon to sing to some of the students in our school. We had one today. They had a birthday today. And so what do you do? I get on the intercom, and the teacher's batting down the hatches, and I sing happy birthday in the weirdest way possible, and the kids love it. Why are we doing that? We're celebrating. Well, when I sing unto the Lord, should there not be a celebratory tone to that? Great is thy faithfulness. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art. Is that not worth celebrating? How great God is. 
This celebration has two types. First of all, you've got that which is corporate, public. Sing unto him, sing psalms unto him. We've just done that a couple of times in here. We corporately sang to him. Um, this is a public celebration. But it also, it also involves that which is composed. Talky of all his wondrous works. These are discussions. Sing is different. Music and lyric composed. But when it's the last time, when was the last time your praise was original? Oh, man, I'm going in a different direction than I should, and I forgot about this point. We're not talking about composed sedate. Oh, no. It's something you've taken the time to order out. Yeah. And, and when it says singing to the Lord, that's just, that's just something that, you know, we sing a song that's been written or a psalm that we have or whatever. But when we're talking about composed, we're talking about something that's original and not borrowed. When's the last time your praise is something that doesn't mimic somebody else's? It's actually genuinely yours. It's interesting, you know, the, the original, the, the Hebrew was the Old Testament and Greek was the New Testament. You got a little bit of Aramaic in there here and there, but, but for the most part, Hebrew and Greek. Hebrew is such an interesting language to me, especially when you start getting into when, when English words, you understand sometimes translating from one language to another is a difficult thing, and it takes more than one English word to express one word in Hebrew. The best example I know is when I was in Cambodia, um, whenever I mentioned heaven, I noticed that the interpreter just kept going on and on and on and on every time I said the word heaven. And finally I asked him, I said, why is it that you just keep talking when I say heaven? He said, we don't have a word for heaven. You don't? Nope. So every time you say heaven, I have to say the city in the sky where God lives. Every time you say heaven. Well, that didn't bode well for him because I had a lot to talk about heaven in that week I was there, you know, so he had to talk a lot. All right. Well, what's interesting is what, when, when we see the words wondrous works, talky of all his wondrous works, that's the only way to put it. But in the Hebrew, it's only one word, and it means that which is extraordinary and singular, and all of God's works are extraordinary. And the best way that I could sum up this, this word that underlies wondrous works is the first time it's used in Genesis 8, 18, 14. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? So when it says his wondrous works, what that means is there's nothing too hard for him. So this attitude, this attitude of answered prayer, it begins with an attitude of rejoicing. Number two, an attitude of revelation. Verse three, glory ye in his holy name. Let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face evermore. This attitude of revelation. My life should reveal to a lost and dying world all that Christ is and all that he does. My life should be an example of, of revelation. What should characterize this attitude of, of revelation? First of all, clarity. Look at verse 3. Glory ye in his holy name. Do you know what the word glory means? It means to be clear. The glory of God is the fact that he is perfectly, distinctly righteous and pure. 
And, and that type of glory is something beyond what humans can handle. We are not capable of looking on a being who is so perfectly righteous. What will it do to us? It will kill us. Remember Moses? Oh, Lord, I just, I just want to see you. God said you can't. It will kill you, Moses. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to hide you in the rock over here, and I'm going to pass by, and I'm going to reveal to you what I leave behind, just the remnants of my glory. And when Moses came down from that mountain, his face shone so bright people couldn't stand to look at him, and they had to put a veil over his face. That's what glory is. It's his absolute clarity. Now, what's the Bible say? Be ye holy, for I am holy. So we're supposed to be like God, right? So if God is a God of clarity, should we be a God of cl- Should we be people of clarity? Yeah. As we reveal Christ to a lost and dying world, there should be a certain clarity about our testimony. Number two, there should be a certain purity about our testimony. Why? Because he's holy. Glory ye in his holy name. Number three, there should be authenticity in how we reveal God to others. He says, glory ye in his holy name. Let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord. What's my heart? My heart is who I am. It's who I am in the middle. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. My heart is who I am, and and, and there should be an authenticity about me. One of the great fears of my life is that my children will depart from the faith that I hold dear. I was having a conversation with somebody about that here recently. And, and to give you some idea, I'll give you a name. How about Billy Sunday? To be a man at the level that Billy Sunday was, his kids didn't follow in his footsteps. And I don't know why. I I would not venture to guess. But i tell you what I have observed over the years. And like I said, I've been saved a long time, and I've known a lot of preachers, and I've, I've been friends with a lot of their kids. And I'll tell you why it happens a lot of the time. A lot of the time, the reason that kids slip away from the, the faith and the moorings of their parents is because who their parents are here and who their parents are at home don't match. Kids sniff out hypocrisy quicker than anybody. And they're looking for an authenticity. And they'll follow somebody who's authentically bad just because they're authentic. How much more would they follow somebody who's authentically good? Now, that's not saying that they're without any kind of responsibility for the choices they make, but we've got to be super careful that we make sure that who our kids see at home and who our kids see at church are the same person. And no, that does not mean be sorry, a sorry Christian at church too, just to level it off. That's not what we're saying. But that's one of my great fears, and I talk with my wife about it a lot. My kids, when this is all said and done, they're going to think about me and they're either going to be able to say that dad was the same Christian at home that he was behind that pulpit or they're not going to say that. 
God help me to be the same Christian everywhere I am, an authenticity. And that doesn't mean perfection. None of us are capable of that. Authenticity is saying you're wrong sometimes. I had a situation not long ago. I completely mishandled a a situation, just completely mishandled it. And my attitude was wrong and everything else. And a 47-year-old man had to sit down with his 11-year-old daughter and 4-year-old son and ask their forgiveness because I was wrong. By the way, that wasn't the first time I've had to do it either. But I'm going to tell you something. You can't avoid doing wrong in this life, but you can, you can avoid making it right. And if you do that, that is going to sour your kids and anybody else you're trying to reach for the glory of God. Kids are incredibly forgiving, but you've got to ask for it. There should be an authenticity. Man, I want to sit there, but it's late. Let's keep going. An attitude of revelation involves clarity, purity, authenticity, and then intensity. Intensity. Verse 3. Glory in his holy name. Let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord. Verse 4. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face evermore. It's interesting. All three of those seeks are a different word. They're a different word. The first one, seek in verse 3, means to search diligently. Seek in the first part of verse 4 means to frequent, to hang around. I'm going to be where God is. I'm going to be at his house. I'm going to be with his people. I'm not going to be where God wouldn't want to be. And then the the last seek in verse 4 means to search out but evermore, to constantly be searching. So what do we take from that? Somebody who is searching diligently and frequently and forever. There's a certain intensity to that, isn't it? My, my thought goes to defense and basketball. A good defender is seeking that ball intensely and forever. There's an intensity. I forget who said it. I think it was Winston Churchill that said, nothing great has ever been accomplished without enthusiasm. Intensity. What are you intense about, Christian? Last night, watching, that, watching those ball games, it was intense. I was intense about it. And there's no wrong in that. I got home, watched UVA. I was intense. I'm intense about barbecue. I'm intense about a lot of things. Why is it that we have a hard time getting intense about the only thing that really matters? What are we to remember? Oh, I'm sorry, I'm too far ahead. An attitude of remembrance. This attitude of answered prayer is an attitude of rejoicing, an attitude of revelation, an attitude of remembrance. Look at verse 5. Remember his marvelous works that he hath done, his wonders and the judgments of his mouth. That word remember in verse number five has four elements. There's four elements that go into that word remember. First of all, it's got to be pulled in. 
you can't catch a fish that's not there. When you catch a fish, you're catching a fish that was there before you got there. And the only way that you can remember, the only way that you can recall things is that something's already been put there. Does that make sense? So let's take the, the Word of God, for example. If, if, I'm, if I'm remembering the Word of God, that implies that at some point I put it in there to begin with. Well, no scriptures ever come to mind for me. Then maybe you haven't stocked your pond like you should. So remembering means we pulled it in, and then it means we're pondering it. To meditate on what God has done. Many times in Scripture, that word meditate is a picture of a cow. And if you see a cow, and we got tons of them around here. We got cows over here, we got cows over there, I got cows at the house. There's cows everywhere around here. I've never seen so many cows in one place in all my life. There's cows everywhere. And all of them are doing the same thing. They're standing there, and if they look at you, they're all doing the same thing. And they're loud, and they're slobbery, and they're all doing it. What are they doing? They're chewing the cud. Now, I'm not going to get gross about this, but, but those of our teachers and people that are interested in biology know what's going on here. You know, cows have an extra stomach called a rumen. And they'll eat grass, and that grass will go down to the rumen, and they will it'll kind of ride around in there for a little while, and after a while they'll bring it back up and chew it again. Why? To get all of the nutrients out of that grass that they can get. That's exactly what it is to meditate on Scripture. I take it in. I store it. When I need it, I bring it back. And I just keep getting all the nutrients out of it. Now, the difference between grass and the Scriptures is you will never get everything out of it that you can. Eventually, that grass stops being useful and they get rid of it. The Word of God, every time you go back and meditate on it, there's something fresh and new for you. Every time. So this this matter of remembrance, it's pulled in, it's pondered, and then it's proclaimed. It's proclaimed. We've got to be willing to tell others. And eventually it becomes permanent. It's recorded permanently in one's mind and one's heart. Something that fascinates me, I've talked about this before. When I surrendered to preach, one of the first things that my pastor gave me to do was nursing home ministry. And this particular nursing home was, was not one of the nicer ones. Um, it, was, it was one of the not-so-nice ones. And, and our services, we had a lot of people there that were in different stages of memory care. And there was this, this one person in particular that I remember, and he was nonverbal. You never got any kind of response out of him. Even when he was looking at you, you didn't really feel like he was looking at you. He was kind of looking through you. Nothing. Hey, how are you, mister? And I don't remember his name now, but, you know, Mr. Smith, how are you? Good to see you. I'm glad you're here today. And, you know, he just kind of looked at you. But you start singing the old hymns of the faith. And he'd light up, and he'd sing with you word for word, scripture 
and he'd dial right in. What happened was at some point in his past, he had done so much pulling in and pondering and proclaiming that it became permanent, and not even Alzheimer's could get rid of it. And and I think most of us have seen something like that, that there are just certain things that stick. So what are we to remember? If we're to have an attitude of remembrance, what are we to remember? Verse number 5, remember his marvelous, marvelous works that he has done, just like in verse number 2. Those things that are extraordinary and singular, nothing's too hard for him. Remember what he's done. His wonders. That word wonder speaks of the might of his miracles. This isn't just a miracle. This is a mighty miracle. Now, we understand that a miracle is a miracle, but, but think about it. You'd be impressed by God, by Christ healing a man with a withered hand. That'd be impressive, wouldn't it? But is it as impressive as Lazarus? No, granted, a miracle is a miracle. But one's a miracle and another's a mighty miracle. Withered hand? Man, that's awesome. Guy that's been dead four days? Whoa. It's a mighty miracle. Well, take some, take some time to remember not just the miracles. Remember the mighty ones. When you got saved, that's a mighty miracle. Think about it. Everything in your flesh and everything in your unregenerated spirit did not want God. But God sent somebody to you with the gospel, and the Holy Spirit came in, and you heard the gospel, and you were miraculously transformed. You went from death unto life. You you who were dead were quickened. That is a mighty miracle. There's some that can testify to a doctor across the desk saying, you're a goner. God said, not until I say you're a goner. By the way, to God, you're not a goner, you're a comer. We might go from here, but we're coming to him. I won't mention any names, but there's somebody comes to mind in this room that didn't look good. God had other plans. It's a mighty miracle. Boy, we got a bad habit of having amnesia about this kind of stuff, don't we? If you'll just take some time to think about the mighty miracles that God has done in your life, my soul, it'll do something for you. I'm not, I'm not being funny. I'm not joking. My marriage is a mighty miracle. You think I deserve that woman? No. She could have done so much better than me. It's a mighty miracle. My kids are mighty miracles. I had the precious privilege of leading my daughter to the Lord. What a mighty miracle. Got laid off. Didn't know where the house payment was coming from. Didn't know what you were going to do with the kids. And then God steps in and does mighty miracles. Don't forget them. We're to remember his marvelous works. We're to remember his wonders. 
we're to remember his judgments. The judgments of his mouth, what is that? That's his verdicts. If God says something is right, it's right. And if God says something is wrong, it's wrong. That's his judgments, that's his verdicts. But sometimes we forget, don't we? Well, I don't know if God really meant that. God hadn't changed his mind about anything. And if something was wrong here, it's wrong now. If it was right here, it's right now. Let's don't forget it. I'm speaking to a Wednesday night crowd, so you understand that I am... I'm, I'm acutely aware that this probably doesn't apply to you. And it doesn't apply to those that may be watching online that are at home sick or have to work tonight. I understand that. But, you know, God in his word said that God's people ought to be in his house. In 2,000 years, he hasn't changed his mind about that. Well, you know, we got online church now. That's just as good. No, it's not. There is no substitute, whether it's, whether it's in a building like this or whether it's in a mega church, or whether it's in a tiny gathering of Christians, whatever your local church is, there is no substitute for the gathering of God's people corporately, physically, for worship. And God hasn't changed his mind about that. But the statistics, I don't care about statistics. God hasn't changed his mind about it. And yet we forget. I'm shocked at how many people name the name of Christ. Men and women are living together. Well, you know, it just saves us money and we've got to get used to each other. Okay, but here's the problem with that, y'all. Marriage is honorable and all in the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. We forgot. What? What do we do with this? Well, I can't speak for you, y'all, but I look at guys like George Mueller and J. Hudson Taylor and J. Hudson Taylor and um, and William Carey. Does God not make people like that anymore? Oh, He does, because those men were made of the same stuff we are with the same passions and the same problems, what was the difference? Their attitude. Their attitude. How did they get their prayers answered? How did George Mueller keep that orphanage open for so long? How did Hudson Taylor literally change an entire country for Jesus? How did William Carey oversee the, 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 the missions understanding that we have today? How did they do it? They did it because they just reckoned on a big God that wanted to answer their prayers. And they had the right attitude. They were rejoicing. Let me ask you a question, and it's meant for me too. Are you praising him? Now let's add a little bit to it. Are you praising him no matter what? Now I think I know the answer to this. 
but if our teams would have lost last night, is God just as good after a loss as he is after a win? Yeah. God forbid, but if we, if we come back to this church on Sunday and at some point during the week, God forbid, a fire has burned up the whole building. Is God still good? Is he still praiseworthy? Sure. See, it's one thing to praise him, but are you praising him no matter what? Revelation. Are we proclaiming to others how big our God is? Is our God big enough or is he weak and vacillating and unsure of himself like many of us are? I, I don't I don't have any idea how God's gonna build that family life center. I mean I've tried to come up with ideas and how he might do it. I don't know. And if I'm honest with you, I don't know when. But one thing that I have never wavered on, not even a little, is that he can. And I believe that it's his will to build it. I believe that. Do I project how big my God is to other people, or do I project to other people that he's unsure of himself like sometimes I am? The third so what? How's your remembrance? Do you recall and meditate on what he's already done? How can we expect him to do new things if we keep forgetting about the old things he's already done? Rejoicing, revelation, remembrance. These are the attitudes of answered prayer.